Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, 106.3 WORD proudly presents Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Custom car and hot rod enthusiasts together for a weekly chat. Here are your hosts, Rob Pitts and Odd Rod. Live and local on 106.3 WORD. All right, guys, welcome to Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Odd Rod, what are we talking about? Today we are talking about pony cars, Rob. Pony cars? Pony cars. You're talking about the short neck lid and them long hoods? We're talking about Mustangs and Challengers? Uh, well, and Camaros, yeah. And them Camaros. Yeah, we're talking about all that. Um, you know, and not only that, we're talking about the well, the birth of the pony car, we're talking about the history of the pony car, and we also have a couple uh, special guests that are going to be in that's here. That's right, that's right. We've got Alan and Mike from the Mustang shop today. Down in Greer, South Carolina. Greer. 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 So yeah, let's kick this off. Let's talk about the birth of the pony car, Rob. Uh, you know, the pony car is an American uh, American class of automobiles launched uh, and inspired by the Ford Mustang back in 64. Uh, the term describes an affordable, compact, highly styled car with a sportier, performance-oriented image. Well, I mean, and the thing you got to think about it, Lee Iacocca knocked it out of the park with the first Mustang. Absolutely. It was a great idea. I mean, you know, you got that classic styling, the short deck, little long hood. You know, it was a car that, depending on how it was optioned out, it was a performance car or it could be a daily driver. You know, a lot of Mustangs, they actually targeted like female drivers. Absolutely. You know, uh, the term was coined first by uh, Car Life Magazine editor Dennis Shaluk, and I know I'm saying that wrong, but Dennis uh, coined that phrase and it stuck. I mean, you know, that was the name for these cars and it, and it stuck over the years, even, even today. Well, I mean, it's a whole special class of it. Even when the pony cars kind of started gelling with the muscle cars a little bit, there's still a pony car. It's that class of car. It's a very popular car across the board. You know, we even had Chrysler and you, of course, General Motors jumping in on board on these a- pony cars. AMC, too. AMC, yes. Um, you know, and and like you said, there was qualifications to a pony car. It was a stylish, a sporty, long nose, short deck, and the open mouth grill was big. You know, you see all these old cars from the 60s, and there was these big grills sucking in a lot of air. Well, now you got these looks coming in on the new muscle cars. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the styling of these cars set the pace for not only pony cars, but muscle cars throughout years and years to come. And there an affordable base car that you know twenty five hundred dollars back in nineteen sixty five of course uh, twenty five hundred dollars and under so it was an affordable car because you had a lot of young people that were out buying these cars now actually it was a funny story the very first Mustang ever sold it was only by accident she actually bought the car two days before it was released it was a uh, it was Gale Gale Wise Gale Wise uh, in Dearborn Michigan she was looking for a convertible. And, you know, she was looking at Falcons, which the Mustang was loosely based on. Um, and she was looking at convertibles. And the salesman showed her the very first Mustang they received. And it was in the back. And she bought it. They sold it to her two days early. So she actually, and the thing that's crazy is, she kept this car. There was a daily driver till 1979. And didn't realize that she had the very first Mustang sold yet. And in 2010, the car set from 79 to 2010. And they ran the numbers on it. And they found out that it was the very first Mustang sold. And she's been interviewed all over the world. Yeah, this car was actually, it was purchased at the New York World's Fair uh, back in 64. 
And like you said, you know, it was literally before anybody, no one had seen one of these cars at the time. It was, I mean, brand new. It was just a concept. And the thing with her is just her new car. Exactly. And then, in, and then, you know, what, 50 years or 40 years later, she finds out that this car is the very first Mustang. And it's so ironic. She still owns it to this day. And and what's funny is, you know, a lot of people don't realize that it, it wasn't that pretty of a car. Um, it was blue on blue. I mean, it was a skylight blue with blue interior. It was, I mean, just as basic as it comes. But, yeah, it was number one. Well, I mean, it was the first one. And you got to think about back then, you know, these cars, like I said, they were optioned out for different purposes. You know, there were, you know, not all 65 Mustangs were destined to be Shelby cars and things like that. So, I mean, you know, some people like, and I, I want to tell you something, in the 60s, light blues were very, very popular. Very true. And for those listening, we're talking about the pony car. We're talking about the birth of the Mustang. Well, well, the birth of the Mustang also, but the birth of the pony car. Um, You know, talking about Gail Wise buying the first one. It, these cars were so amazing because one of the things that made a pony car a pony car is the off-the-shell off-the-shelf mass production of components. I mean, the aftermarket world was huge for them. You could literally go out and buy anything for these cars, and you could buy these cars with any kind of option. The Mustang had, you know, a straight six in it or a V8. Well, and that's the cool thing about it is how they're optioned out. I mean, you could order your 1965 Mustang or 64 and a half Mustang, actually, when they first came out. You could order this car, you know, with an inline six. You could get it with a 289, and then they had a vast array of 289s. You had 289 two barrels. Oh, up 289 four barrel R codes, solid lift cam motors. Yeah, and the options, you know, you know, your GTs, your Shelbys, there was just anything you could want. And then, like we said, the aftermarket was just there for them. And they they advertised these pony cars, you know, especially the Mustang at this time. They advertised these cars, you know, to a youth-oriented market. That's, you know, young people were buying cars at the time. They were affordable, and they were giving them something that was stylish, that someone, you know, I would say my age, wanted to drive. Well, another thing you got to think about, there was nothing on the market quite like it. Absolutely not. I mean, you got to think, you know, it wasn't really considered a sports car, and it wasn't like a mid-size car like a muscle car would be. And, of course, it was definitely wasn't a full-size car, and it really wasn't a compact car. Now, it, really, it's a nice blend of all these things. It, it really is. It, it actually shares, you know, it shares parts with all of them. Right. You know, it, Lee Iacocca, he, being the father of the Mustang, he knocked it out of the park here. Well, he was a visionary. Lee Iacocca was a very, very wise man. Uh, a little side note on Lee Iacocca, he actually worked for Ford all the way up into the early 80s, and he pitched a front-wheel drive van idea to Ford. Yep. Ford actually laughed him out of the boardroom. Yeah, and he took this idea and actually went to Dodge with it, and it. Well, he became the general ma- or became the CEO of Chrysler Corporation. Well, I, you know, and part of that, he saved Chrysler. He did the caravan saved Chrysler, the front wheel drive minivan that Ford, three years later, laughed about is the best selling automobile probably of all time. Yeah, especially for Chrysler, without a shadow of a doubt. Well, for Chrysler, for sure. But I'm almost believe there's more caravans on the road than anything. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, but Lee Iacocca, he. <sighs> He's the godfather to the Mustang. I mean, this man, he created something. I don't even think he realized what he created when he done it. I think, you know, he had the idea. He knew it would be popular, but, I mean, I don't think he saw it coming either. I mean, you got to think about it, 52 years later, still making them. Absolutely. And, you know, the sales, they had a projected sales. You know, big motor companies, they don't take risk like this without looking into it. And they looked into the pre- uh, predicted sales of these cars, and they were expecting to sell. I think the numbers were around 100000 the first year. The first day they released these at the New York uh, World's Fair, uh, they had sale, like people ordered 22000 of these cars right there on the spot. 22000 which they knew was going to smash the record sales for that year. Ended up in the first year selling over 600000 
Well, I'll tell you something else, too, is that car was marketed extremely well. You know, obviously being called the Mustang, you know, they always tied the pony into it. And, you know, you see some of those early commercials from the 60s. A lot of those were teaser commercials. Nobody had seen this car before. Driving across the desert with a pack of horses running behind it. I mean, it was an exciting car. It was something totally new. Absolutely. Yeah, the marketing was there. Everything was there for these cars. Uh, the time was right. You know, you're getting, this is a post-war era. You know, so you got people out there that are spending money. Um, I'm sure the GI Bill kicked in. You know, people had money to buy them a sports car. You know, some people are getting a little older from the war era. You know, they're retiring. They want a little sports car to drive around. A it, cool convertible. Uh, absolutely. A, a cool convertible is the perfect answer to all this. You know, and, and again, for those tuning in, we are talking about the birth of the pony car. And with emphasis on the Mustang right now, because that was the birth of the pony car. But like we said, you know, you had Dodge come into play with the Challenger. You had a General Motors stepped in. Camaro. Well, the thing you got to think about, you know, Ford had all had all the market for years. And then in 67, you had General Motors step in there. Oh, yeah. And, and the birth of the Camaro, I mean, my God, that's probably one of the iconic car. Well, it is an iconic car for GM. And, you know, even a Chevelle, a little bit bigger of a car, but it has that same pony car feel. Well, yeah, but the Chevelle's because of the midsize size car was considered a muscle car. And this was something totally different. And we're going to talk about how the other manufacturers followed suit in the pony car market in our next segment. You know, we got a lot coming up to talk about, Rob. We got, you know, like we said, we're going to be talking about the pony car history, um, you know, past Ford, you know, with all the other companies stepping in, and the precursor to the pony car, what was leading up to it. And then later, we're going to be talking about the 21st century revival in 2005 when Ford done this again. We're going to be talking about that, and then we got a special guest coming up, so you, you definitely want to stay tuned for this. You definitely want to stay tuned. we got a real great guest, especially on this subject. Guys, you're listening to Hot Rods and Happy Hour on 106.3 WORD. From bad-looking bikes to great-looking custom cars, this is Hot Rods and Happy Hour on 106.3 WORD. Whether it's four on the floor or three on the tree, this is Hot Rods and Happy Hour with Rob and Odd Rod on 106.3 WORD. All right, guys, welcome back to Hot Rods and Happy Hour here on 106.3 WORD. I am Odd Rod. I'm Rob, Rob Pitts. <laughs> you happen to be him. I've known it for a while now. All right, guys, we're talking about the pony car history. We're going to talk about – actually, I'm going to give you a little history lesson, a precursor leading up to the the invention of the pony car. The idea of the pony car dates back all the way to the late 50s with – and Ford had it here again – the original two-seater Ford Thunderbird. Great car, and it fit every every design aspect to the pony car – but at this time, these were not pony cars. Now, in 1958, the transformation to a larger four-seat luxury car proved to, uh, to be a sales success for Ford, Both, but both Ford dealers and consumers, uh, they were sad. Uh, they had the loss of a sports car here, and they were looking, you know, looking to fill that void. Well, you got to think about it. You know, the two-door T-Birds, those cars were very popular, but they were not very practical. Exactly. And it wasn't to compete with the Corvette, especially when they went V8 in the 50s. And once they got past the old Blue Flame 6 Vets, those cars were real performing cars. And, you know, the T-Bird was a V8 car, but it was kind of heavy. And, you know, they pulled away from it and made the T-Bird a more luxurious car. Yeah, and it always leaned toward that. Even even your two-seaters, they're very luxurious cars. Oh, yeah, well, they're loaded out. I mean, there's no such thing as, like, a base T-Bird. Exactly. So over at GM, they saw some need here. 
with, with that happening, they saw a need. So in 1960, the Chevrolet Corvair was born. Now, those of you who might remember the Corvair is a rear-engine-setting car. A very oddball car, but it's a very popular car. Um, so in nineteen uh, in nineteen fifty one or sixty one, I'm sorry, the Corvairs up trimmed this uh, Corvair with a Monza package. Uh, you know, the Monza would sell one hundred and forty four thousand units in nineteen sixty one, and this lit a fire up under Ford's tail. <laughs> well, I mean, the Corvair was a very interesting car. Of course, it wasn't a pony car. No, you know, rear engine. Air cooled. Yep. Corvairs were very, 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 very different cars. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, Corvair collectors are different. You know, I mean, that's that odd crowd. Well, you know, it looks like me. I would have. I was actually offered a Corvair in trade for another car, and I almost took it because of my, you know, my odd rodness. <laughs> I, I just happened to like them. Um, Too bad they didn't make a station wagon. Well, actually, they did make a Corvair station wagon. They did make a Corvair station wagon. Actually, they did. They're making odd otter. Yeah, um, but the Corvair and the Thunderbird they were they were catalysts for the pony car. I mean, they were what led up to it. And the Corvair, the Monza package, it had some very unique uh, features. It had bucket seats in it, and it had a floor mount shifter. And that started a trend that we would see, you know, go through all phases of cars. You know, from your Full size cars to your, you know, your luxury cars to your sports cars, uh, your European cars. This was a uh, this was an option that would stay around. Your bucket seats and your floor shifters. That's what everybody wants, even well, today. Well, I mean, that was the big thing back in the day. If you had bucket seats in a console with your four speed, you're in business. Well, even your automatic cars, and you even, you know, I'm a, I got a heart for B body cars. You even seen them in your '96, you know, Impala SSs. Bucket seats and floor shifters. Well, you know, it's even making us move into trucks now. You're seeing, like, pickup trucks with consoles and floor shifters and pickup trucks. Absolutely. I mean, this was a trend, and then, of course, it bled over into the pony car. And the pony car embraced it and has always embraced it. I mean, very few times throughout history do you see a column shift pony car. Uh, in the early 60s in your Camaros and some of your Mustangs, and st- or not your Mustangs so much, but your Camaros, you saw column shift Camaros. You did. You did. Um, you know, but Ford, they answered back to this Corvair. Um, you know, they didn't get rid of their Thunderbirds, so they had to answer back. So Ford, uh, their initial response was a Futura or a Futura Sprint, which was versions of the Ford Falcon, which later became the Mustang. Yeah, The Falcon was a really neat little car. Um, you know, the Falcon actually hung around after the Mustang, which was on the same platform, all the way into 1970, I believe. Absolutely. But the yep. thing about the Falcon that was really cool about it was is it had these different models. Now, keep in mind, it wasn't a pony car yet. This is the predecessor to the pony car. But the thing that's cool about it is is the the car, you know, you could get a base model six-owner Falcon, or you could get, you know, a 289 V8 Sprint Falcon. I mean, they were neat cars. It was kind of like a Mustang in sheep's clothing. Absolutely. And guys, if you're just tuning in again, we're talking about the history of the pony car, the predecessors of the pony car. And at this time, you know, Ford stepped on with the Falcon. Chrysler followed up with that with the Plymouth Valiant Signet. And also they had the Dodge Dart GT. Two great cars, iconic cars, but these were not yet pony cars. These Everything was leading up to it. Everything was bottling neck into a pony car. And then you have American Motors, AMC. They stepped in with the 440-4, and then they had rogue versions of their ever-popular Rambler. Well, I want to tell you something. The, a- the AMC, AMX, that was a wild car. That oh, thing yeah. was just crazy compared to anything else, your Camaros, your Challengers, you know, your Cudas, all those cars, Trans Ams, whatever. That was just a, a car, a pony car that was ahead of its time. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, auto executives led by Lee Iacocca, um, they believe they had uh, just scratched the surface with all these cars. These were like your mid-sized to compact cars. And, you know, they, there were several more that we're, we're not even mentioning here. But they believe they had just scratched the surface. Young people were buying cars. And, you know, this led to the Mustang being born, the pony car being born. Well, it led to the pony car being born. And then two years later, they came out with a Cougar, which was basically a loaded down version of the Mustang. It was uh, just trimmed up. Yep. It was a, a almost hate to say it, but a luxury Mustang. Yeah. It was, it was like a classy Mustang. And now you got General Motors stepping in in 1967 with the Camaro. Well, that and the Firebird. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's F body cousin coming in. Yeah. And I mean, and this is the thing. I mean, it was kind of like the Cougar. And the Mustang, the Camaro, and the Firebird. The Firebird was just a little classier, a little more trim, a little more, yeah, you know, a lot of, and it's so weird, though. If you like Firebirds, typically you don't like Camaros. Camaro guys don't like Firebirds. That's absolutely true. And that bleeds on into the 90s and early 2000s with your WS6 cars. Well, it's just, it's You're virtually either, the same car, but they're just like totally, it's like, my, I'm not a GMC man, but I like them Chevrolet trucks. Exactly. You're either a Catfish fan or you're a WS6 fan. I mean, I, for one, am a WS6 fan. Well, I want to tell you something. The Trans Ams has just always had me by the heartstrings. They're just—I don't know. It's just something about them I like them. Well, I mean, I think they're up upscale model, you know. Well, it is. I mean, it is. It's just—it's a little more loaded out. Yep. I mean, there's nothing in particular other than trim pieces is the big thing with them. And, you know, maybe had a little bit more spoilers and things like that, but definitely a good looking car. I tell you, somebody else that came in swinging in 1969, the fall of '69. Mopar came in swinging, swinging, swinging. With a luxurious Dodge Challenger. With a luxurious Dodge Challenger. And they also had the Plymouth Cuda. Yep. And I'm going to tell you something. The Cuda has been around you know, before 1969, but they had performance models. They had a lot of people build hot rods out of the Cudas and drag cars out of the Cudas, like the Hemi Underglass, things like that, 67, 68, 69. But in the fall of 69, that 70 model year car, that 70 Challenger, the 70 Cuda, those cars right there. The 71 Cuda, probably the, one of the rarest, most, well, pony cars of all well, times. Well, you, you got a 71 Hemi Cuda, you've got something. Absolutely. All right, guys, we got more to talk about with pony cars coming up next. We're going to be talking about the 20th, 21st century revitalization right here on Hot Rods and Happy Hour. On 106.3 WORD. High Performance Radio. You're listening to Hot Rods and Happy Hour with Rob Pitts and Odd Rod. On 106.3 WORD, the Upstate's talk station. The discussion is always high octane. On Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Like, follow, and connect at 1063WORD.com. All right, guys, welcome back to Hot Rods and Happy Hour here on 106.3 WRD. Hot Rod, what are we talking about again, man? We talking about them pony cars still? We're still talking about these pony cars. I think it's a great subject to talk about. Um, and we're talking about uh, pony cars in my lifetime. <laughs> and, you know, the revitalization, the 21st century re- revitalization of the pony cars. And I'll go as far as to say the revitalization of hot rods. And factory hot rods. Factory, factory hot yeah. rods. You know, you got to think about it. You know, the 90s, the late 80s, the 90s were horrible oh, years it, for horsepower. It killed. I mean, look at your what the Silverado SS trucks. We were talking about them. They're horrible back then. You know, well, they were the Lightnings and things like that. I mean, even at their best, they were still down on horsepower. I mean, we have seven hundred horsepower muscle car, uh, seven hundred horsepower pony cars now from the factory. Absolutely. I mean, and I think you know, in two thousand five, this was revitalized. There was a dilemma faced by 
automakers in offering pony cars or their equivalent. Um, going forward, developing a suitable platform that was affordable and capable enough um, to be viable. You know, unlike the mid-60s, the large ma- uh, majority of modern compact cars and front-wheel drive with four- and six-cylinder engines and the widespread use of the unibike construction, it made engineering uh, a specialized body an expensive proposition. So they had to solve this problem, and it, that came in 2005, where Ford once again stepped in and made a unique platform for the Mustang. Well, I will tell you something. That 05 body style Mustang is a gorgeous car, and it really, really mimics the original Fastback 64 and 65 Mustangs. Yeah, I mean, they knocked one out of the park here, it, and I think they got, you know, the buyer, I think they got the consumer, you know, looking again, you know? Well, it's that car that unmistakably you know it's a Mustang. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, and then in 2008, Dodge, being inspired by Ford, of course, brought back the Dodge Challenger and probably the greatest decision Dodge ever made. Probably one of the big ones that's really helped Chrysler out through the years. And I want to tell you something else. In my personal opinion, probably the best looking of the new generation pony cars. I was going to say, you took the words out of my mouth, Dodge knocked it out of the park. The, the design of that car is gorgeous. The Charger, you know, it came around and it met a need. They needed a midsize sedan or full-size sedan, I guess you'd say. And, you know, the Charger answered that. But when it came to a pony car, they they knocked the Challenger out of the park. And it's only gotten better looking. Yeah, and it's a good-looking car. I kind of like how they go through the years with it now. You know, the 2010s actually mimicked a 1970 Challenger. And now your newer body styles look like a 71 in the back with the taillights and all that stuff. So it's, they're really good-looking cars, and they're kind of keeping to that classic form. Yeah, and if you're just tuning in and wondering why we're talking about Challengers, it's because we're talking about pony cars. We're talking about the revitalization of the pony car. And then, you know, you look forward in April 2009, the last ones to jump on board, Chevrolet released their 2010 model of the uh, Camaro. Well, they released it to public for sale because in 2008, I actually was at the TD Convention Center here in Greenville, South Carolina, where they actually had the Camaro there on display at the uh, auto show. You know, and the Camaro was very different. It was almost... A futuristic looking version of a 69, 69 Camaro. Camaro. Yeah. You know, honestly, what I Ex- rem- except for those ugly taillights, some things look like they come <laughs> off of Vega. You know, and being a GM fan, this is odd for me to say because in 2008, I was a senior in high school and youth. Yeah, absolutely. But cars have always been a passion of mine. And then I go to this auto show, it's a new Camaro, it's being unveiled here. And it kind of let me down, man. It really, it looked like a Hot Wheels car. It's a good-looking car. I think they missed the mark with it a little bit. It's gotten better over the years. I love the dash in those cars, though. The yeah. dash looks right. I mean, even down to the gauges. You know, the big thing in, like, 67, I had a 67 RSSS Camaro. And, uh, you know, the cool thing about those is they had an in-dash tack they called a tick-tock tack. It had a clock in the center of the tack. And they actually mimicked that in that 2010 Camaro. The whole dash setup, actually, like a 69 Camaro. Oh, yeah. Ford, Dodge, and Chevy definitely have done a good job with this. And, you know, and then you got Chevy. They're mentioning the Trans Am coming back. They're mentioning the Chevelle come back on the same platform. That's a pipe I, dream. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever happen. Well, this is the thing. When they put Pontiac out, Pontiac's gone. They're not going to bring back one of Pontiac's cars. What are they going to brand it under? Well, the cool thing is you can buy the kit to convert you. And, and those are gorgeous cars. They yeah. do. I mean, I think it makes a pretty car. Too bad Pontiac's not around to support something like that. Right, because we, we actually got to see one of those cars at, at Las Vegas at SEMA. Yeah, we actually got to see one of the Burt Reynolds editions. I think they made, what, 77 of them. Yep. They're gorgeous black and gold. I mean, looks just like the Smokey and the Bandit style Trans Am, but kind of morphed into that new body style Camaro. Yeah. <laughs> a little cartoonish look to it. It's, but it's, it's a good looking car, though. But, you know, talking about pony cars, man, these things aren't really pony cars anymore. They're, I mean, they're full size cars. These are, this is now. Oh, they're pigs. They're heavy. 
Yeah. They're huge cars. I mean, like you're talking about the pony car thing. You're back in high school, you know, you had your Fox Body Mustang, it weighed 2,800 pounds out of the box. And you thought that was a heavy car. We tried to lighten those cars up. I mean, I've seen Fox Body Mustangs weigh 23, 2,200 pounds when they've been lightened up. Now you've got, you know, Challengers that weigh 4,800 pounds, Camaros that weigh right there at it. And the Mustangs, they're right under four grand. Oh, yeah. These are heavy cars, and but they're moving them. They're putting in. Well, they're making up for it in horsepower. Exactly. This is why I said earlier when I think this revitalized. Uh, you know, out of the box hot rodding. You're talking about you got the uh, Challenger Hellcat, 707 horsepower. Hell, Z01 Camaros. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, these things are crazy. Then you got you know all these crazy different model Mustangs, well, like the Shelby yeah, Mustangs. Yeah, a few years back, you had the Super Snake. Yeah, uh, and I'm going to tell you something. These cars are a platform, and you now you've got people that are modifying the Hellcats, making even more power with them. You know, it's funny. I talked to one of our good friends, uh, Joe Manzella, before I even came over here, and he's got one of these Hellcat cars here locally, and he said. He's actually sent it off and talking about numbers of in the range of 900 and something horsepower out of this car. And it's this car you can get in and go to the grocery store in. And it's, you know, well, it's, it's actually a, got two keys. You know, it's yeah. got a black key that you can put in. You can drive it and it's like 500 horsepower. <laughs> and then you have your red key and it's 707. Yeah, he, he actually challenged me to a race. And I said, well, it depends on what key you have with you that day. And I'll be glad to. So, so you give the black key to your wife and you keep the red key. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I mean, and then you got the Mustangs and the Camaros there. They offered a uh, coupe and a uh, convertible platform, which is kind of cool. Challenger well, said, nah. And, and uh, that's something, though, that body style of Challenger, I didn't really care for the convertible back in the day on them. And I tell you, the hard top, it's just very slick. It's a good looking car. I well, think it would look funny as a convertible. I think they uh, I think they have left the room open to bring back the uh, Cuda, though, because the Cuda in a convertible was rather popular, and the body styling is not too far off. Well, this is the only problem, though. The Cuda was originally a Plymouth. True. Plymouth's not around anymore, just like the Pontiac and the Trans Ams. I mean, I ain't saying it could be a special edition. And they actually make kits to convert your Challenger to a Cuda, but uh, it's a it's it's a good looking car. But I think they'll probably just stick with the Challenger. I do see a convertible in the future though. But that thing, that car's so wide, like wide from the rocker panels to the top of the doors, it's so wide. I think it would look funny without a top. Yeah, it kind of looks like a chop top car, but it works. It is a or great sleek. It's yeah. a good looking ride. But as a convertible, I almost think it'd look a little funny. What's well, cool is seeing a police car Challenger. Those things are cool. This cool. Black and white. Yeah. Super cool. I've had the opportunity to work on a couple of them. If you're ever traveling down I-77, be careful because they're unmarked. But, you know, and that's the cool thing to see that. You just did a hot rising happy hour public public service announcement. You daggum right. I like helping our uh, listeners out any chance I can. But, I mean... You know, I like seeing that. They're using these cars again. Even Mustangs, they're using them as police cars. Well, even back in the early 90s, you had the South Carolina Highway Patrol Mustangs, the cop car coupes, and they had the unmarked cars, too. And they also had the uh, Camaros rolling around. Yeah, they actually did have a few Camaros rolling around with the Highway Patrol. And those cars are highly sought after from any state. Yeah, I mean, the patrol cars are a huge market. I actually own one myself. But it's great to see these pony cars get used to like that. And I got to pay homage to Ford here for a second. I'm not a Ford guy whatsoever. But the fact that Ford has kept the Mustang throughout all the years while Dodge has dropped off the Challenger, Chevrolet dropped off the Camaro for a while, Ford stayed true and kept that car throughout the years. I'll tell you something. I even think the Mustang people will disagree with on the 74 through 78 years of the Mustang. They don't consider that a real Mustang. You know, what, what was that? The, the King Cobra 2 
The Mustang 2. Yeah. That was a factor, but it was a necessary evil because it led to the Fox body. It did lead to the Fox body. And I, I want to tell you something. The Fox body was a very, very important car for the Mustang year. 79 through 93, that car, other than a rubber nose and some interior pieces, was virtually unchanged. And then in 86, they went to the fuel-injected 5-liter. Yeah, and, and the 5-liter, man, such an awesome motor for its time. And even now, people are still using them. Well, you know, it wasn't a real high horsepower straight out of the box motor, but the aftermarket stepped in and they fixed that problem. Absolutely. And, the, and that It's was, a great base. That was what was so cool about the Fox buys is the, how much was out there for them. And Mustangs have always been that way, and pony cars. And, and that is one of the things that does make a pony car a pony car is the aftermarket capabilities. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I'm glad the aftermarket's out there. You actually got guys that are restoring Fox body Mustangs, like 88 Mustangs and 89 Mustangs. They're like factory restoring and putting them back original. I mean, I remember when these cars were, you know, four or five years old sitting on a car lot. They actually make, that makes me feel pretty old. But I mean, it's really cool to see those cars coming back. Yeah, 89. That was the year I was born there, Rob. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's great to see that. And then, you know, I like uh, just seeing it today, Dennis Collins down there in Texas. You know, the Collins brother Jeep. Uh, you guys know him from Gas Monkey. He uh, he's actually selling off a Mustang collection. You know, well these are all extreme low mile cars. Extreme low miles. You got he's got five Fox bodies and then three SV uh, SN ninety five SN ninety five. That's the ninety four through ninety eight Mustangs. And you know, just to see that someone has thought of these cars, you know, the pony cars so much to keep them. I mean, one of the cars has seven miles on it. That's crazy. I mean, and there's cars out there dating back from the 64 and a half, you know, Mustangs. They're like that, too. People saw the value in these cars and have put them up and kept them. Well, they're collectible. Absolutely. Um, You know, and I think another cool thing that the pony car has done, the revitalization of the pony car, because that's what we're talking about. The revitalization has opened up the hot riding market more than ever. Oh, man, the aftermarket has had a field day with the Camaros, Challengers, and the Mustangs. Absolutely. I mean, all these new platform, you know, motors, you got the 6.1 Hemi, the, you know, the 5.7 Hemi. You got the new Coyote motor, the LS motor, which has been around for a little while. But, I mean, all these, you know, motors are performance powerhouses. Well, the thing is, I mean, they're just beasts ready to be unlocked. Absolutely. Guys, we got a special guest coming up next. I want you to stay tuned for them. Uh, they're from the Mustang Shop, Aaron Greer, you know, Mike and Allen, great guys. They're going to be on next. You're listening to Hot Rods and Happy Hour here on 106.3 WORD. Nitro for your ears. Tank is full on Hot Rods and Happy Hour with Rob Pitts and Odd Rod. On 106.3 WORD. Hit it, boy. Traction Radio. This is Hot Rods and Happy Hour on 106.3 WORD. The Upstate's talk station. All right, guys, you're listening to Rob Pitts on Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Odd Rod, what are we talking about tonight? Uh, well, we have a couple special guests in here tonight. We have Alan Martin and uh, Mike Hughes with the Mustang Shop. The Mustang Shop. Guys, tell us about the Mustang Shop. What are you guys doing down there in Greer? Uh, we are a complete format shop. We work on everything from 1970, uh, excuse me, 1964 and a half through uh, 2017, 18 Mustangs. We do everything from dynos to anything you can think of to a car. Full, restor- full restorations to tune-ups. Full restorations to an oil change, to brakes, whatever you want to do. Just come and see us. We can take care of it. So performance mods, things like that, you got them covered. You got, got to sell the parts and install them, sell too. Sell them and install them. So one-stop shopping for your pony yes, car sir. parts. You know, today we're talking about the pony cars and, you know, how an important staple car they are. And, you know, being important. So you guys, this is your livelihood is the pony car. So, I mean, that's important to you guys for sure. So what's your favorite Mustang? through the years. What do you drive? I drive a 2012 Boss 302 uh, Comp Orange. 
Uh, my favorite one is a uh, 1972. It was my very first car. It was for the uh, 72 Olympics. And that's what I actually met my wife in. Man. White, blue stripes. That car um, has sentimental value from way back. Way back, way back. That's what I'm screaming. So, got any special projects going on in the shop? Well, one of our current projects we've got going right now is for the make waste Foundation of South Carolina. A uh, kid named Luke Boyette, he's recovering, or he's actually in remission from cancer. Uh, his mom had a 65 Mustang that she drove when she was in school, so it was his wish to have it restored. So we're off just about totally complete with the car. It's white, red interior. Uh, it's got a 302 that was donated from Advanced Auto, five-speed transmissions. Super nice car. It's going to be a great car once it's all the way 100% done, which, like I say, we're about 99% now. That's very awesome. Mike, I saw two Mustangs out in the parking lot. Tell us a little bit about the car you drive, bud. Uh, the current driver, my daily driver I drive now, is a 2013. Uh, it's red with the black, uh, black convertible top. I've done a pretty good bit of modifications to it. But uh, my favorite one is my 15. It sits at the house that used strictly just for shows. That's really my favorite car. And then my wife's car is we got an 06 Custom that was one of the first cars that we did at the shop. Uh, pretty cool car. It's completely re- renovated from its original state back to kind of a customized state that she wanted. That's awesome. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier, and just to let anybody know who's tuning in, we got... Alan Martin and Mike Hughes in from the Mustang Shop in Greer, South Carolina. And um, we're talking a little bit earlier in the show about the pony cars, and we mentioned that. Um, you know, those have been a staple car throughout time. You know, what what turned you guys on to the Mustang? What what made that the car that you wanted to choose? My very first car was like it was a '72 Mustang that I met my wife in, and we that was my dad bought the car for me when I was nine years old, and uh, we just I've always loved the cars, and I guess you can say my dad's the reason I got into Mustangs. The car, shoot, I mean I can't tell you everything I've done in them. Well, the thing you always notice with the Mustang crowd, and I, I was a Mustang guy growing up, and it's a family affair with a lot of this stuff. You know, it's how you get into the hobby is, you know, you have a father or a brother or an uncle or something that brings you into it. And the Mustang is that staple car through the years. It's the one car that blows my mind. Everything but that 74 through 78 Mustang two years. And you actually got people building these cars now or making beautiful customs out of them. But these cars, there's no bad year in these Mustangs. It's crazy. When you got the 64 and a half to 72s, and then, you know, let's fast forward to the Fox Buys, your 79 through 93 cars, which I think will always be a major classic. That car still to this day, they were hot when I was in high school and they were almost new. And now you've got teenage guys wanting these cars. Now and then you got the guys my age that are wanting them, wanting to restore them, and that's crazy. So you guys see a lot of fox bodies in the shop. Yeah, we see quite a few fox bodies. Um, we've got several working on currently. Uh, we did a actually we did a pretty cool modification on one. It was a coyote swap from a fox body. Uh, pretty wicked car because cars light to begin with. So you throw a you know you throw a coyote in there. So it's well, I mean, I don't pretty, tell you something. It's kind of cool with that new five liter. I mean, you know, back in the day with the old roller motor five liter, I mean, they were fun. But you got a coyote swap, the new five liter Mustang motor. And that light Mustang, I think it would be a street beast, sure enough. No, it's it's pretty wild. It'll get away from you in a heartbeat. Yeah, I, th- I think what's so awesome about a Fox body is everybody everybody can relate to one of these cars. Either the buddy had one or they have at least rode one. And I myself even owned one. I had a 91 LX Coupe car. Or you got pulled over by one. Yeah, or you got pulled over <laughs> by one. But, I mean, you know... Even so, you see them, like he said, they're either being restored or they're someone's hot rod or they're big for race cars. I mean, like you guys said, they're lightweight. I mean, you can throw anything in them, and they're quick, especially an LS motor. That's what I like seeing go in them. All right. This studio ain't big enough for a fist fight odd rod. <laughs> These boys look kind of big, and they're from Greer. We ain't going to mess with them. <laughs> How do you guys feel about um, that? I heard a guy tell me one time, and I think this is a funny statement. He told me that kid, you know, a kid of my, like if I were to have a kid when they grow up, 
up, they're going to think that every Mustang came with a, a Chevy motor in it. How do you guys feel about that? Because that is a common swap. Well, you know, Chevrolet don't make a body that'll handle the horsepower. <laughs> so they, they had to put it in a Ford to make it handle it. Um, I mean, they're using a Ford in the rear end, a Ford chassis. They're just putting a different heart in to make it go fast. Oh, yeah. Uh, according it, to some people. According to some people. You know, and everybody's going to have to agree to disagree on that, all right? Yeah. Put the brass knuckles down, buddy. <laughs> just because he's not sipping the LS Kool-Aid don't make them bad people, okay? We, you know, I, I think this is actually a great topic to talk about because I've always said this way. The, of course you do. We're talking about LSs. It's a wonderful <laughs> topic to you. Well, you know, I've always said this way. The Ford, especially the Fox body is such a great platform. It's, you know, I hate I hate using this terminology, but it's cheap. There's there's parts for it out there everywhere. And it's the same way with the Chevy motor. It's cheap. You can throw them together. So it's take, like taking the best of both worlds, match them together. Anyone who's got, you know, who's balling on a budget can have a amazing performance machine doing this setup. I agree. Well, well I agree, but I want to tell you something. The prices of these Fox bodies, are, <laughs> they've gotten very popular. Very, very popular. You start see these cars roll through Barrett-Jackson. You start to see, you know, these untouched grandpa five-liter LX coupes coming through, you know, no Flowmaster mufflers, which... I'll be honest with you, I always thought they all came with them because every one of them had them. They but all you, do. But you, exactly. I like, I mean, I didn't, man, they didn't come with those. But that's the thing, like, you know, no turndowns. What? It's got tailpipes on this thing? But if those guys that have those cars, those cars are bringing crazy money. Those unmolested, just pure Fox body Mustangs. And I mean, I want to tell you something. You know, the 80s and the early 90s were not great years for performance for cars. You know, power's down across the board. Ford, Chevrolet, everywhere. Well, power's always been down at Dodge, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's never really been up. But you know what I mean. And, and that's the thing about that's that's the thing that's cool about the Fox Body is the aftermarket stepped in there, and I think the aftermarket stepped in more for those cars than they did for the Camaros or anything. I mean, you could buy anything for a Fox Body Mustang, and then and you still can. You can yep. buy probably more parts for a Fox Body now than you could then. You can get uh, for the Fox Bodies, you can get any parts you need, anything to restore it. Only thing the quarter windows on the coupes the hardest part to find. Yeah, you know, I've often heard that, and and that's a big thing too. Those seals around the windows all get real rough looking, and you can always tell the ones that've been repainted and they didn't pull the windows out of them. Right, they make new. Uh, um, new overlays for them now, but that's the only thing you can get. That's crazy. Somebody in the aftermarket hadn't stepped in yet. Guys, if you're listening and you got a glass shop, if you can make quarter windows for an LX Mustang Coupe, you might have a good market there. Very good market. <laughs> and, and that's the great thing. Like, we, like we've like we said a million times, the aftermarket is there for these cars. You know, the parts are plentiful. Um, and I think the Mustang has kind of paved the way for the aftermarket world. Um, you know, Mustang has paved a lot of ways. You know, like we were talking about earlier in the show, they paved the way for the pony car. And then back in 05 when they brought the new rendition of the Mustang out, they paved the way again, and I really think they revitalized hot riding. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we have a lot of people that comes in with Fox Bodies wanting all kind of different items done, and it's it's just amazing what these cars have been through since, and since 1964 and a half, uh, the evolution, evolutionary change of the cars. I mean, you got one, the uh, 64 and a half, which is, is like driving a horse and carriage, and you got a 2017 out there right now that's it's like you're riding in a, um, I hate to say it, but a Cadillac. Oh, absolutely. Well, Mike, Alan, guys, I want to Thank you guys so much for coming in. Um, you know, for those listening, if you need your Mustang hooked up on, these are you guys to go to. They're in Greer, South Carolina. Great group of guys. Be sure to look them up on Facebook, the Mustang Shop. These guys do some beautiful work down there, and they're doing some great work for some great causes. Guys, I want to thank you both for coming out. I appreciate you. You're listening to Hot Rods and Happy Hour on 106.3 WORD. Thanks for listening to Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Interact, share, and connect with Rob and Odd Rod. Hit the on-air button at 106.3 WORD.com. Scroll to Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Find out more about the show. Listen on demand and interact 24-7. Hot Rods and Happy Hour. Supercharged Auto Talk. 106.3 WORD. 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.